Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Mika Simmons, and you're listening to the Happy Vagina Podcast. In this, the season five finale, we have the New York Times bestselling author, Jennifer Grey, who shot to stardom in the iconic Dirty Dancing and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Steeped in wisdom, Jennifer shares her deepest feelings on being misunderstood as a young starlet and how she fought to remain out of the corner and find a deep, sustainable confidence. But first, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our sponsors today. This episode is brought to you by Arta Nutrition. Arta offers targeted supplements and transformative nutrition programs to help you achieve optimal health. Their incredible products are practitioner strength, sustainably sourced, free from harmful additives and fillers, and use only the best quality ingredients to ensure you achieve results. The range addresses all aspects of your well-being, from hormone balance, metabolism and gut health, to immunity, sleep, energy and skin. And right now, they're offering my podcast community 20% off. Just go to www.artar.co and use the code THEHAPPYV to get a discount and start looking and feeling your best. That's www.artah.co and the code the happy V for 20% off. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space who have made a difference in women's health, equality and relationships. Each week we chat to an inspiring human as they explore the experiences that completely change their outlook, promising not only to educate, but also to entertain and enlighten. And today, I am absolutely beyond ecstatic to be joined by Golden Globe nominee, actress, New York Times bestselling author, spiritual gangster, mum, and the world's most famous dirty dancer, Jennifer Grey. Jennifer, welcome to the Oh, I would have to say, I'm not the most famous dirty dancer. I'm one of two most famous dirty dancers. I am the living, I'm the last living dirty dancer. There is that, the late amazing Patrick Swayze, which we are going to talk about a little bit later, is if it's okay with you, I'm I'm very aware that speaking about people after they've passed is is a choice, isn't it? So, you know, it's a way of keeping them alive because the love and appreciation and their contribution to your life and the world goes on. It goes on. And as long as when we stop talking about them, it feels wrong. We, we actually asked our community last week if they had any questions for you. And they were all about Patrick, your relationship with Patrick and making Dirty Dancing. And I know that you are so much more than Dirty Dancing, but you really are the kind of the independent film ingenue who was in a sleeper hit that really you didn't anticipate becoming what it became. And you've written this fantastic book, which details not just that, but actually your entire life life journey. And I'm, I'm really excited to go a bit deeper on some of those things with, with you today. But as I said, we, we did ask our community and one of the one of the things that uh, one of the questions. So most of the questions are like, "What's Jen going to do next?" Dirty Dancing is my favorite film. Did she love Patrick? Did they go out and all the things that you would anticipate? And then someone said, "Waffles or pancakes?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For the last year, my community have been saying to me, "What has happened to the Happy Vagina quiz at the beginning of the of the episode?" And I've been like, "Oh." the pandemic and I felt like it was a bit frivolous and not too serious. We have to create levity. Come on, let's get frivolous. Come on, we let's are, go. We are, we are. We're going to bring back the, the, the happy vagina quiz, starting with one of my community's questions. 
Waffles or pancakes? Is it bad to say both? (laughs) Because I really have no preference. It's just a mood. (laughs) You're just keeping it in the day. Okay. No, I'm serious. Like I don't have a preference. Like it's easier to have a good waffle than a good pancake. And waffles are a little bit like you can have an ego, a frozen ego and it satisfies. But you know, if you're going to make them both, the waffle, if it's homemade, is amazing. And pancakes are a little tricky, especially the first couple ones. And what's your favorite topping for a pancake? Is it is it honey? Is it is it lemon and sugar? Is it chocolate? Oh, God, that's so European. No, it's just really boring American. It's butter, like salted butter and um, maple syrup. Mm, delicious. Let's get a little more vagina. <laughs> Let's get vagina with it. (laughs) Jennifer Gray, brief or G-string? I wouldn't say G-string. I would say thong, thong, thong. (laughs) (laughs) Let me hear your body rock. (laughs) What was that song? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? The thong, the thong, the thong song. Yeah, the thong song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like G-string always feels very abrasive Mm. and irritating. And an actual like Costa Bella soft lace is really like, so it's not about like if I had to choose between an uncomfortable G-string and a cozy brief, but it's all about the comfort. Like go up a size in a G-string, I think. See, for me, it's just all about, can it feel like nothing? If I feel that G-string, that's just not, it's not a good kind of stimulation. <laughs> and and we're off and we're running. I don't care for the irritants in um, my sensitive bits. Do you? No, of course. I mean, maybe some people like the discomfort. It's just not my jam. Brazilian or bush? I like both. Kind of like waffles and pancakes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I like a clean workspace. So I wouldn't say fully, you know, wild. I'm always wary of anybody who's too rigid in that regard especially of the male persuasion. Like if somebody has a really, really strong preference, that really turns me off. You know, I almost want them to just think like, I just love you in all states and it's different and, and it's always good to have variety. And so if you can grow variety, grow variety. So he does not, or your partner does not have a set idea of what a woman should be. I don't think anybody, they should have any opinion, whether I don't care what gender we're speaking of. I just think that my body is called my body because it's my body. It's not your body. And if you are lucky enough to be invited in, then have good manners, be a good guest. Can you walk into someone's house and say, oh my God, can't stand the color you painted this place. No, you'd be like, what a lovely home. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. On, on a good day. <laughs> I think <laughs> no, it's, on a really, good day. it's really, it's just about kindness and inclusivity of our humanness, our natural beauty in whatever state we're in. It's like the conditional love, like, I only like you when you're in a good mood. Like, it's just like, if you love me, you love me. If I love you, I love you. And it's all of us, right? As I said at the beginning, spiritual gangster, this Jennifer Grey. That's, this is normal. This is basic. This is so basic. This is, this is not special. This is the most, this is the lowest common denominator. This is like, this is, this is, what do they call it? Like entry level. You, you say that, but I do think that this, that what you're talking about is having, what I hear is someone who has really great self-esteem about their value that you know that your value is not based on on anything external for example brazilian or bush and and i it should be basic but i think that as human beings we're so far from that very basic self esteem to know that we should be loved for our for our spirit for our purity for who we are in every single moment and not for the externals. Not by everybody. Like, I'm not for everybody and everyone's not for me. HRT or au natural? Oh, HRT. Yeah. <laughs> Someone said that to me last night at a dinner party I had, and I didn't know what she was saying, but fortunately, she told me what HRT was. The vagina is, is a wondrous and exciting landscape. And it's all, everyone used to think that 
they were separate bits, but they're all part of the same machine. And so there's the, you know, there's the sponge, the urethral sponge, and there's the clitoris that goes down and around with legs. And, you know, it's just like this wondrous sea creature. And then there is the entire vagina is, becomes engorged, which is part of all of it. So who's to say where it's starting and where it's ending and where the pleasure is coming from? It's, it's so much, it's so meta. <laughs> it's so meta. Everybody, welcome your new podcast host, The Happy Vagina, Jennifer Gray. <laughs> and she can take over the rest of the season. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't dare. This is your territory. <laughs> Last I, question. You are safe. You are safe there. <laughs> Last question, Jen. Vibrator, vegetable, or hand? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Never vibrator and never vegetable. <laughs> I'm a fan of the hand as well. I get sent a lot of vibrators oh, now. I mean, I just, I mean, ah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. There is something very special about the hand. Jen, thank you so much for participating in the Half Vagina Quiz. Because there was no points given, you have won because you have chosen all the things that were deepest to your own conscious heart and vagina. I mean, I just think that pleasure is so, it is so essential and life is so hard. And there are so many things that we have no control over and so many things that are devastating and soul crushing. And I think any way you get pleasure, whether it is a vegetable or a waffle in your vagina, whatever it is, go for it and make time for that waffle, make time for that vegetable, make time for that hand, whatever it is, because that is, we should be devoting as much time and energy and putting that on our to-do list as much as we are doing the laundry or doing errands. It's so crazy that the things that get our attention are so dry and sometimes so uh, unpleasant. Pleasure is self-care for sure. And it is sex, whether you're single or with a partner. Pleasure is pleasure. Like it doesn't even have to involve an orgasm. Pleasure is pleasure. Like what is pleasing, you know? Like just how much time can we luxuriate in the murk of pleasure? That's what I want to do. I want to have less goal-oriented pleasure and more open-ended, surprising, spontaneous, like, oh my God, I can't believe how good this zucchini in my hands feel. You know, when I'm just squishing out the liquid of the zucchini to make the zucchini pizza last night, you know, and you're like, and you're just, oh, it's so good. Like all of the things that feel good. It doesn't have to be in the narrow little designated spot of an orgasm or sex or, I don't know, I just feel like it should move into our life and out of our life and feather it in and out. So it's not just shoved in a little corner, if you will. Because you know, my book is called Out of the Corner. That was a very good transition, Jen, because the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about was the book that you've written, that I've read. Everyone should read it. It is a beautiful, raw, deeply honest and insightful exploration of your life experiences, really, not just with, with your family, within the entertainment industry, as a woman. And, you know, this is your first book. Is that right? I've never written anything in my life except my diaries before, and I wrote it myself. How was it? for you writing a book, Jen? Well, I started a few times, maybe 10 years ago for a little bit, or eight years ago, I can't remember. And then I decided not to continue. But I knew there was stuff that wanted to be told. There were things that needed to be, is the word exhumed? Is that what an anthropologist, like, like, I mean, just there were things that needed to be really ferreted out and then put out and then called and and polished till it felt right I knew that it was just banging around in my head and when you speak things it's different than when you write things when you write longhand it is different than when you type every draft gets a little bit more honed and it's really because I can't type and I've never written before so I write with like my two fuck you fingers like this 
and I literally don't like know what I'm doing and technologically like the computer it's really hard for me so it forced me to go really painfully slowly which slowed me down enough to be able to consider points of view or narrative around the story and the meaning of the story and the impact of the story as opposed to just speaking as we do about by rote, just like certain things like, oh yeah, that happened and that happened and this is what happened and this happened because of that. And the truth is, is when you're forced to go slowly as because of my you know issues, I noticed that I had a less rigid sureness of what the outcome was. And I could, could just roll around in the question of, of course that happened. It's understandable that would happen without any judgment of good or bad of judgment of myself or judgment of other people. It was like, oh, how, it couldn't have happened any other way considering where they came from or considering why would I choose that? Well, of course, now that I'm looking at the whole, um, like the generational trauma and the generational inherited trauma and patterning without judgment, because the key and for me was, and I think for writers from what I've heard is that you have to do scenes, right? You have to and I didn't have memories of scenes. I had memories that were super clear, 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 crystal clear, and then just a line. So I just would write down, okay, what do I remember for sure? And then when I didn't say, well, I'm not sure, but I do know this. And then I was able to just have this kind of generosity to myself and to the circumstance and empathy. And so to answer your question very long-windedly, it, it was a very long process of putting it away and taking it out. I don't want to hurt people. So I, I don't want to do that. And then just deciding I can't and then deciding, well, what if I didn't have to hurt anybody? What if, what if I could do it without that? Well, how could that be? Did you get a book deal and then take breaks or did, by the time you got the deal for the book, were you then kind of like in it? I was in it. And then I couldn't not be in it because I had a deadline and deadlines are great and deals are great for that purpose. And did you get a rhythm? Did you like write a thousand words a day or from like 6am to 10? Oh, no, no, nothing like that. I would just, I tried to give myself rituals and rhythms and it was really helpful to be really in earnest during the pandemic because that's when it was really on. It started before, but then it really... I had no excuse, but to, you know, and also like my life got very small around the, during the pandemic and the lockdown. And so I felt bad when I wasn't writing Mm, mm, mm. and I felt good when I was, and I noticed the resistance and that horrible sinking, icky feeling of, it could be anything, like anything I know I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing feels so painful. And so in order to mitigate the pain, I would just be like, okay, here's a clock. I'm just going to set the timer and I'm going to do that until that time. And once I would start, then it would just go, 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 go. And sometimes I would wake up at like 4.30 because it was the time when I was married and I had my kid going to school when that during right before all of the quiet happened. I had to find that time before anyone else was up and then I could get a couple hours in before the day started. And now what? This is the answer. But I didn't continue like that. <laughs> No, I'm the same. You you already touched on, I mean, one of the things, really interesting piece of research that's come out recently is they've been able to actually do quite serious trauma exploration on the women who were pregnant during 9-11 and the impact of the trauma on their children. And it's a conversation that I've been around a lot. I'm, I'm not of the Jewish faith, but one of the things that comes through in your book and you just touched on was kind of this hereditary trauma that gets passed through. And I think now more than ever, they have evidence to, to, to really prove the fact that on a cellular level, we can inherit the, the trauma and pain of our ancestors and not even just a parent, not even a parent. It's, it's called generational trauma yeah. is what they're calling it. And you talk about it in the book and I think it's really brave. I mean, I was so moved that at the beginning of the book, you opened by talking about your experience with having had some plastic surgery, which is not something I have to say that I ever knew about, Jen, in, in the UK, your kind of dirty dancing is like a national treasure. And I'm not sure, I don't remember anyone ever talking about that experience, but I know that it was a experience for you that you took a lot of criticism for 
in the press and that you were highly judged for. And also within the book, you weave it into some of the conversation around what it is to be Jewish and the judgment on uh, particular features a Jewish man or woman may have. And I, I just thought it was so brave to start the book with it, so brave to name it that there's this kind of prejudice and racism and judgment about a particular shaped face. I suppose, and it kind of ties in a little bit with what you were also just saying about the need to uh, exhume the book and to, to kind of get it out of you. Like, Jen, do you, do you feel that you've been misunderstood? Like, I get this sense. So your book has got no self-pity in it. It's raw. It's honest. It's a book that I think anyone in the industry, but most women should read. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're going to take a very quick ad break. And before we do, I wanted to let you know that this podcast was produced in association with Albright, the leading career network for women. Got a mission, a five-year plan, or an outrageous dream? Albright will have your back. They had mine. Visit www.albrightcollective.com to join their free community today or download the Albright app available in the App Store. Albright, a global sisterhood for ambitious women. As a starting point, do you feel that you've been misunderstood in your life? Um, I don't know how common that is, but I don't know if you feel that way. But uh, yeah, like in a substantial or in a meaningful way, do you feel that? Because I feel like being misunderstood is one of the worst feelings. Yeah. And I think that, but I think that for me, I haven't, I don't, you're obviously um, someone who has, I feel, been taken advantage of in the press, I would suggest. I haven't had that experience. So I suppose the misunderstood is, it's not misunderstood by your dearest loved ones, Jen. It's not misunderstood by, I have, I don't think my father and my brother misunderstand me on occasion, for sure, but not all the time. But it's like, was some of that need to, I don't really, it didn't feel like you were defending yourself. It was like you were setting the record straight. You know, this is 100%. what 100%. And yes, yes. What happened was I had this, this inciting incident in my life and it was 30 years ago and it has plagued me and it trauma. You know, there are people who've had, trauma that you might think this is doesn't really measure up in terms of intense trauma but for me it was it took my career away it was being misunderstood on a very global stage and it took my ability to support myself and it was accidental but everyone assumed that I just had so much self-loathing and that I just really didn't like how I looked or that I was addicted to the knife or any of those things. And the truth was, it was the opposite. And I didn't want it. And the fact that everyone just assumed I did was very, we're still to this day, very, very vocal about their disappointment in me or disapproval of me or a judgment of me. And it was so painful for so long. And still, it's still, I mean, it's just so weird to me. And the way I look at it is that if you're going to be in the public eye and if you want to be an actor or you want to be in the industry and you want to have enough celebrity and fame so that you can support yourself, not to be famous, not to be a huge deal because you feel like that'll make you feel good about yourself. I just wanted to be an actor who was working and didn't have to waitress. 
And so in order to do that, I knew that I had to, I aspired to having a successful career as my father did, as I saw all the people I had growing up do. So it was not like, I want to be famous. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, which made me happy, which is be an actor. And what happens is if you play in that playground, as I say in the book, it's more like fight club than a playground. It's really rough and tumble and they eat their young. And it's, everyone knows that it's a, it's a business and it's rough and it's, it's very, uh, everyone's very disposable. And if it, you know, creates clickbait, if it sells, you know, magazines or whatever the, the mode of, uh, ingesting your gossip is, you know, whatever the trend is, if that is going to make people money, they they don't, that's, that's a business. So if you don't want to be, you know, taken down that way, don't be in show business, like know, know the, know your audience, know who you're dealing with. And so to think that the, um, that show business as, as if it's a person is going to take care of you and love you for, and understand you and appreciate all of your deepest qualities, you're really barking up the wrong tree. But it feels like you had like a bit of a rude awakening into that because obviously you grew up in a family of entertainers and 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 while you were you that was that was had some blessings with it, it also potentially uh meant that you were slightly blindsided by how harsh the industry was. It feels like there was a naivety to you. I've never in my life seen, I've just never seen, I've seen it with a few other actresses since me who were just, you know, you know, doing little things that people do so that they can be good on camera or so they can see, put mascara on or see out of their eyes or whatever they do. There are medical conditions that people need to do things and that, and it's a slippery slope because there's so much attention on what we look like and there's so much pressure on us maintaining a youthful appearance or not showing the natural signs of aging or not, or, you know, maintaining whatever that thing is. And it's, it's Sisyphean because you, it, it, it cannot be done. It is soul crushing. Yeah, but also everyone in the industry gets so any everyone at a certain level gets surgery and they lie about it, which is really detrimental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's no, I, they can lie about it. It's like everyone is allowed to do what they want to do. They are, but it's bad for the normal woman to see someone's face and think that that is something that 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 is achievable without the amount, even if it's just kind of non non cosmetic. And I think. I think the reason people don't share about it is because of the shaming, which is what you went through. And I'm not going to, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it. It happened a long time ago. And I feel that you're so much more than this. I know you are. And I feel, but I I think, but I think that (laughs) you're not wrong. But what I loved about the book for when people would go and read it is just that they will get a sense of the internal conversation that you had to have with yourself about whether or not to do something that was being heavily suggested to you not just by the industry but by friends and family members and the and 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 then the truth about what happened and so I really recommend people go and read it and I don't want to go into it here I think it's best that they read it because I the reason I wrote it was because I was so tired of explaining yes I was so tired of defending and I just felt like you know what you know what I don't really care if you're interested, this is the story. And it's weird. It's stranger than fiction, you know? Mm, maybe. Not, 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 you know. It's pretty weird. It's pretty bizarre. It wasn't I, mean, weird I don't for know. Me. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it before or after this way. Just, uh, you know, one of the things I would like to move on to is talking about coming back to the pressure on, on looks. Do you feel that men I'll put under the same, well, so we've got two two questions really here. And one is, did you feel at the time that men were being put under that pressure? And do you think they are today? Do you think this is a misogynistic thing that's going on within the industry? I mean, it's since the you know beginning of time, it's been different for men and women. And I think that men have a different um, set of issues. I don't think that, you know, they got off light and we, you know, I think it's hard to be an adult. 
I think it's hard to be a kid. It's hard to be an aging person. It's hard to be a successful person. It's hard to be a failure. It's hard to not make a living. It's hard not to be able to support your family. They have different, um, it's just different. And I think the world is that the idea that there's someone out there who's got it easy or who's not struggling is the lie. Because I think anyone you know well is got their share. It's sometimes a part of every day they're suffering. Certain months of a year, certain years are harder than others. That there is no, the idea that we're, if we look a certain way or present a certain way, then people will not know that we're suffering. And it's not true. And the suffering, in my opinion, is how we all connect to each other and connection and how not alone and how human and how loving and gentle we can be with ourselves and with each other is the way out of that other thinking and the idea of what that I have to look a certain way in order to be considered attractive or considered to be enough or considered to be a player or considered to be the kind of person who could have a good life. I just think it's a lie. I think it's a lie. And I think it's energy. And I think energy is the thing that's most attractive about people. And I think if you think about the people you're super attracted to, it's rarely like like you could see a really beautiful or handsome or whatever person and feel nothing. And you can see somebody and feel their energy about how they regard themselves. And it doesn't mean you should love yourself all the time and think you're the greatest and you're the shit. Cause it's not that it's more like, we're so much more than what we look like. We're so much more than what we drive or what our bank accounts are. We're so much more than our aging or youthfulness. There's so much more to us. And I just think like, you know, if we thought about the day that we die and that everyone gathers together and they talk about, you know, what we meant to them. Do you think for a second, like just, if we just imagine the end of our life and what we want people to say about us and what, how we want to leave the world, people will always remember how you made them feel. Mm. Uh, And also if someone's remembered you for your, as you, as you so delicately put it, tits or how pretty you are, then Unfortunately, your life has has ended quite early because my experience of getting older is that my my breasts are, are, are not looking like they did twenty years ago. So, you know, aging is not for the faint-hearted. Like I always think about the kids who grew up really gorgeous, and anytime the little kid walks in the room, people are like, "Oh, aren't you beautiful?" And how the world just looks like it's so easy for them; they don't need to develop any other parts of themselves. Because the doors just fling open and you, and then what happens when you hit, you know, a rough patch in like second grade or something, you know, second grade, all of a sudden she's lost her looks. She's over, you know, she was such a cute baby and now not so much. And then I believe that it's that not knowing where you stand in the world or not, or maybe being ignored or not seen, it drives us to develop or figure out who we are. If we're not, if we're not the most beautiful girl in the world, the most beautiful girl in the room, then how are you going to get your needs met? You're going to have to become funny or smart or kind or artistic or have something to offer. Otherwise, no one will notice you and you will perish because you don't exist. And so the ways that we exist for ourselves are the things that make us who we are. And if everything is just so perfect, it's not, it, first of all, there is no perfect and there is nobody who feels that good about themselves, except the people who basically have been through the ass of the devil. You know what I mean? It's just, the, that's when you figure out, that's when the rubber hits the road. That's when you realize who you are. And that's when you realize like, oh, I'm humbled every day by what I'm not. Right. Well, and your book is actually, I would say, full of, full of humility. Life is humbling. As you get older, the more humbled you are, the more beautiful you become, don't you find? I, I would completely agree. And I think it's one of the greatest gifts of, of growing older and, and deeper. And happier. You know, we're happier older. You know that, right? Yeah. There's a U-curve. This woman who wrote this book called This Chair Rocks, 
she was on the um, We Can Do Hard Things on Glennon Doyle's podcast. And she was so incredible. She talks about, she's a scientist. And she said, there's this U-curve when we're happiest as children. And the next time we're happiest as, as we're older people. And we, if all you have to do is hang out with younger people for a minute to know like how much more, you know, and how, like how, and how miserable they are. Cause they have no idea. They don't have the skills. They don't have the experience we have. And it's just, it, life gets better. Something definitely to, to, to look, to look forward to. I think that the wisdom that you've got is something that you have grown into though, because throughout the book, you talk about feeling not enough and feeling like you're a problem and that you're not beautiful enough or not funny enough and not talented enough. And obviously those of us that, that love your work, not just dirty dancing, but you've got a whole legacy of work behind you. Uh, don't, don't see that, but that is, that is how, how you felt. And aging is, as you said, a, a happier time, but I have been told that you, or I've heard on the grapevine that you are planning at the moment, dirty dancing too, and that it will be representing your character from the film in later stages of life. Can you share anything about that film with us? I don't know much, but I do know that it takes place 30 years later. And I do know that um, it'll be at Kellerman's. And I do know that it'll involve dance and music. And I do know from my point of view that it will not be about meeting Mr. Wright. So I, it will involve the idea of baby Francis Hausman once again recognizing that yet another time in her life she might feel that the world no longer is for her. Younger people, the same way she thought she was not the pretty one, her sister was the pretty one and she was the smart one or she was the one who'd go to the Peace Corps and that she would never get the attention of a beautiful, hunky guy like Johnny Castle. And so the idea of having a transformative experience where she realizes it's not over, it's not over because once again, I'm believing what the culture is saying, which is it's over for you. And the idea of finding Mr. Right would be a problem for me because there is no Mr. Right. There's just Mr. Right now. Uh, or Mrs. Right Now. Okay, so the idea is, is that Patrick, not Patrick, Johnny did not make baby sexy. Baby always was sexy, but she just hadn't come into her knowing of who she was. Another rebirth for baby. For me, it's a romantic comedy. It's in the rom-com camp but it has an underlying, a little bit like flight. You won't see flight. You think it's an airplane crash movie and you find out that actually it's about an alcoholic, right? Denzel Washington, is, that's what that movie's about. I think that Dirty Dancing was actually the really, the, the story that blended all of the different parts together was the abortion story. You know, I've read that one of the things that actually makes romantic comedy super successful is when they have an underlying, really hard-hitting story. There's always Beauty and the Beast. Mm. I mean, Cinderella, like no one sees her and then they see her. Was there any backlash to you at the time? So, so that abortion story. Mm -hmm. 73 was Roe v. Wade and the movie took place in 1963. And did you have, and, and in the film, obviously we see someone almost lose her life to a backstreet abortion, which is so relevant right now. Roe v. Wade has been overturned in your country. I know that there's a lot of work going on to try and work out other ways to provide self safe healthcare to women in the mm -hmm. United States. But at the time when you made it, was there any backlash at all to you, the film, or around the abortion story? Or was America, were there any Christian kind of fundamentalists that were trying to like take Dirty Dancing down? I don't remember that happening, but I just wondered whether, and you don't talk about it in the book. I was not aware of it till recently when I, when I heard, I mean, I read an article right when Roe v. Wade got overturned in that horror of that week. And I remember seeing a lot of things about Dirty Dancing and Eleanor Bergstein, who wrote the original screenplay, um, talked about how they wanted her to take that out. 
And she said, well, I can't because then she doesn't have to dance with Johnny. And then if she doesn't have to dance with Johnny, she's not forced to learn how to dance. And the whole movie falls apart. If she doesn't lie to her father to get the money, da 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 So um, it basically is, I mean, Eleanor's, she did such an amazing job in the way that she had that as the inciting incident that sets the entire movie in motion. And there were things about the movie that were completely implausible that we talked about in the book. Like it was like, really? Okay. And when we were making it kind of like, I don't know, um, what, why does she have to be the one? And why does he like, and they were just like, go with it, just go with it. So that was more of the discussion. It was not like, should we not have the abortion? The abortion thing was very important. It really is a feminist movie and what it means to be put in a corner and what it means to be silenced or muted or have your needs not matter or have to not be considered as important as someone else because you have curly hair and a Jewish nose and that you're not one of the pretty ones and you're not like your sister and you can't have the man and you can't have, you can't be the sex object. And the idea of how much we put ourselves in the corner by colluding with these cultural ideas that are so insane, right? And yet there are ways in which we collude all the time. And the way, I don't know about you, I can speak for myself, my inner dialogue with myself, how mean I can be to myself. Because you say I'm a spiritual gangster. You're seeing what's going on on the outside. But it's a, it's ne- it's a never-ending struggle to love myself and be gentle with myself and to not have this in- internalized like slave master. It's really intense. And it doesn't, I don't know anyone who's free, free, free from it, from the negative self-talk or the feelings of not enoughness or feeling like, you know, everyone's having a better life than I am. And I think that the, it's the big lie. And the idea in this movie is that she knew how to get her needs met, which was to be just like her dad and to do good and do social justice was her thing, right? And when she discovers that she has more and she is more than that, and everyone else sees her like, oh, she's more than that. And the idea that we are actually... Um, have more agency than we know by the ways we fight against being put in a corner or we go into the corner because that is what we secretly feel we deserve. And I believe we all deserve to be out of the corner and we deserve to have all of the feelings, all of the, the full gamut, you know? It's not like we get clean and we stay clean. We have to shower every day. We have to brush our teeth every day. We have to, you know, go through life and recognize that, you know, it's not about being happy all the time. There is no such thing. It's about how is your day? I don't know. My day is many things. You know, I've had a good day. Did you have a good day? I had a good day and a shit day and a boring day and a thrilling moment here and there. You know, and it's just so much more interesting to be real and to how much pain we're all in so that other people don't feel like they're the only ones because it's so much better together. I mean, this the, the wisdom that is pouring out of you. It's just basic. It's normal. This is the, this is what we should be taught in school. We should be taught memoir. So everyone can be writing their stories and knowing each other and understanding where they come from and having a deeper relationship with themselves and each other. And then the rest will take care of itself. It's all this boring energy spent doing the wrong things. I completely agree with you. I'm, but and, and it is basic and it should be taught in school. And I love that suggestion that memoir should be taught in school so that we can do what you described Why are at the we beginning. Not learning English by t- teaching memoir. The teacher gets to know you, your classmates get to know. And then each year you write it and you realize it's different. But also you get to make those, you get to make the constellation that you described at the beginning of the podcast, which is a mental health exercise to understand. And then you can stop potentially making the same mistakes. I I know that doing the dance show, Dancing with Stars, was really transforming for you for so many reasons. And again, go and read the book to get 
the finer details on it. It's so beautiful, Jen. It made me cry because there's a moment in it where you say, I realized that it was okay to be big. And it, 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 from what I got from it, that was the moment in your life when you stop forcing yourself to be small. I mean, I, I hear you that it comes and goes. I hear you, you're not going to be able to live in that every day. I'm not, I'm not like, oh, you had that like epiphany and now it's been fine ever since. However, for someone who spent her entire life not really understanding that it was okay to be ambitious and not really allowing herself to be big, that moment made me cry. If there are people who are listening today that feel they are living in a smaller version of themselves or not good, not good enough to be big or that people won't like them if they're too big. Cause there is that too. It's threatening. It's threatening for people because it makes other people feel smaller or less than. And so if you're always trying to stay small so that you don't take up too much space so that other people, you just have to find better friends. <laughs> that is that. <laughs> <laughs> what would you what so that's one tip that was your 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 one step ahead of me I think really just as we come towards the end of our time you know you keep saying this is just basic stuff but I I know that you've done a lot of work on yourself I got that from the book it's been a lifetime's worth of self-examination exploration and refinding your self-esteem so it's really mitigating suffering that's mitigating, all I'm doing mitigating suffering yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to I'm trying to bring down the suffering and bring up the pleasure. And the suffering is I mean, life is painful, right? And they say um suffering is optional. The suffering is really rough and everyone suffers and the question is how much how tolerant are you of being in a suffering state? And I realized when I stopped drinking it was really hard. To, to be suffering the same way because I was so raw and felt everything so much. And I've always been highly sensitive and I realized, Oh, I have to find a way to turn down the suffering and mitigating the suffering is the only is, was the input. It wasn't like, I, I want to be deep and wide. I was like, just stop making it hurt. This is unbearable. And so that is a really great motivator. So what do you do to do that, Jen? What are your top tips? It, I mean, it's, it's really, there are anyone who has an easy answer, you should run because there are no easy answers and that it is, everyone has a different pain threshold. Everyone has a different tolerance for being bored. I have very low tolerance for being bored, um, very low tolerance for abuse, which I think used to have a much higher tolerance for. And I think that uh, it's about community. It's about finding your people. And if somebody, if you don't feel good around people, change your people, change your people. And if you don't feel good around your family, change, you know, how much time you spend and how much, like, like if you just look at your life, like a pie chart, how much of it is doing what you love and makes your spirit soar and how much of it feels like dread and how creative can you be to transform the things that we have to do that don't feel great into something more fun, like make everything more fun for yourself if you possibly can, because there are certain things we can't do anything about. And, and also the big tip that I talk about in the book is the idea that this moment is manageable. I would even go so far as to say this moment is perfect. And when I'm in the future or the past, I'm fucked. I'm fucked because it's just never good. I'm in my head and my head is really, um, it's got a negative bias, which is a great thing when they were like saber toothed tigers chasing us. But uh, like, you know, where's the animal that's going to kill me? But if like, if I'm looking for what's good, looking for the, the sweetness, looking for the, tenderness looking for the reaching out and helping someone else noticing something beautiful like this I just noticed this like you know just like beauty is everywhere and kindness is everywhere and if what I'm looking for is shit and I'm a victim and things are bad and everything the world is really in trouble it is but if I'm looking for that I will have more of that and if I'm looking for goodness and kindness and feeling God's wink you know then I will find more of that. 
And the more I tell you about that, the more I'm like, I should do more of that because it's not a fixed thing. Like I, like I always feel that way. It's just every day. It's a new, a new chance to have a better experience and more grateful moments because you've asked me that question. Now I'm going to have a better day or at least a better hour. And then I'll have to re-up my agreement. Mm, and keep making it. And, and it, what, it, what I'm getting from what you're saying is that you actually believe it's a choice. Once you see that it's a choice, you can't not see it. And it's a habit. It's a habit. And if you come from a negative stock or you're surrounding, surrounded by negative people, I mean, just remember the people that you spend the most time with are the ones who are going to basically uh, permeate energetically, permeate your life. And you have choices about a lot of them. And I have no idea like what my career or my financial or my romantic life or anything is going to be. But if I know that I know whatever happens, I'll be able to manage it in the moment that I can't worry about it today. And I know what makes me happy. And I just start like a truffle pig going for that. And then if it's not going well, let go, try another route. That's all. It's that kind of basic. Great suggestions. You just mentioned happiness. And our final question always on the happy vagina, Jennifer Gray, is what makes your vagina happy today? Just existing. That it just doesn't need anything to be happier than it is. Just is happy because it's just, it's my vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you dare keep saying you're not a spiritual gangster. Jennifer Gray, spiritual gangster, thank you so much. For joining us on the happy vagina it's been an honor to speak with you thank you so much for having me thanks for listening to the happy vagina podcast produced by pineapple audio production if you enjoyed this episode please do follow subscribe and review it helps others to find our podcast and look out for our weekly videos going up on youtube and instagram at the happy vagina I have absolutely loved recording season five and we are busy making plans for season six, so stay tuned. And don't forget to check out our sponsors today, Arta Nutrition, the practitioner strength targeted supplements and transformative nutrition programs which will help you achieve optimal health. Right now, they're offering my podcast community 20% off. Just go to www.arta.co and use the code the happy V to get a discount and start looking and feeling your best. That's www.artah.co and the code the happy V for 20% off. You're welcome. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.